Okay, uh, there's two readings tonight. Uh, the first is in um, uh, 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 2, um, uh, starting at uh, verse 12, um, going till 26. This can be pa- found on page 305 in the Church Bibles. Sorry, sorry. Um, 1 Samuel 2, 12 to 26. Okay, sorry about that. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that uh, whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand uh, while the meat was being boiled, and they would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, um, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading amongst the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. 
The next reading is uh, from Luke's Gospel, um, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Um, This is uh, found on page uh, 1028 in the Church Bibles. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day, and they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Thanks, Olaf, for reading that. Keep keep that reading in Luke's Gospel open in front of you. I think Matt said earlier, over um, the next few weeks, we're going to look through these opening chapters of Luke. In a few weeks' time, as we're beginning to head towards Easter, we'll, we'll finish this little series in chapter 5, and we'll, we'll hear Jesus say to some people uh, that he's, he's calling to follow him, don't be afraid. Um, and then we'll read that they, they left everything and followed him. And I think in the sections in between that we're going to be we're going to be reading together week by week on Sunday evenings. We'll see Luke just uh, laying out before us the reasons not to be afraid to follow Jesus. And in fact, more than that, will kind of capture you in some way so you think, I, I want to follow him. This is the person um, I want uh, to follow. And you might be following him already, and I'll encourage you and remind you. You might be wanting to, to check out things about Jesus. This will be good to hear. So if you can, come come every week, and come every week as we go through these, these opening five uh, chapters or so. But uh, we're coming back to the reading we've had from Olaf tonight. Let me pray for us as we come to look at this story. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Luke's written down for us uh, to encourage us and help us, and most of all, so that we would get to know Jesus better and help us with that, even tonight. Amen. Now, it's always unsettling, isn't it, if you feel you put your faith in the wrong man. So it is a worrying time for many football fans, I think. The big four managers, Klopp for Liverpool, Guardiola, Man City, Solskjaer, Man United, Mourinho, Spurs, 
Sorry, Lee, the Coventry manager didn't get anywhere near uh, those big four. But these guys are sometimes referred to as, or at least they hope to be, referred to as the footballing gods. Uh, but listen to the phone-ins, and with the exception of Klopp, I think there's some wobbles in footballing faith. Even Guardiola, it seems at times, although I think they won 5-0 today, Man City. People are saying, oh, is he going to do it? Um, Liverpool are so far, so far in front. You, you, you begin to, it's unsettling, isn't it? If you feel you've put your faith in the wrong man. Uh, are these people the real deal? And I think what's true of football is much bigger when it comes to, to Christian faith. Because that's not a question, is it, of, uh, will the team I support do well? It's not really what it's about. It's whether I'll put my whole life on the line to follow and obey Jesus. It's not, will Jesus have my support and weekend affection? But will he have your worship? Will you bow before him and say, whether I feel like I'm winning or losing? That's what's at stake, isn't it, with Christian faith? Whether I feel like I'm winning or losing, you're in charge and I'm not. And so you think, is he the real deal? Is Jesus the, the real deal? Theophilus, who, who looks kind of writing to in the first place, he might be the sponsor, or maybe he's writing with him in mind particularly, uh, but he might be asking a similar question. I, I mean, he, he could be thinking in these kind of ways. I mean, if Jesus is the real deal, then why doesn't everyone follow him? If he really is from God, why isn't everyone just following him, Luke? If all the stuff you're saying about him is true. And perhaps more importantly, why have so many of his own people, the Jewish people, seem to say no to him? Is he the real deal? Does he deliver on the God front? And that's not really a feeling that's just located 2,000 years ago, is it? You, you feel that. If Jesus is the real deal, then why don't more people follow him? Why do friends at school and work? I mean, if he really is real, if it's that obvious, if it's that clear, why don't my, my mates at work, friends at school, why don't they follow him? In fact, why do they think it's just a bit of a joke? Should I follow Jesus, really put life on the line for him? And so Luke writes. It's kind of what he's got in mind. That's what he writes. And all through the the opening chapters, we've looked at many of them over Christmas. All through the opening chapter, he's saying, look, Jesus is God's special one. He's the special one, not Jose Mourinho, uh, if you ever hear him say that. No, Luke's saying Jesus is the special one. The, the people closest in the Jesus story at the beginning that Luke draws our attention to, Zechariah, his uncle, Mary and Joseph, his parents, they're all presented as solid people. Genuine, faithful Jewish people living for God. They're not flaky. Simeon and Anna, if you were here over Christmas, we, we bumped into them. Godly, older people. And they both speak in praise of Jesus. And then even in these opening three chapters, or opening couple of chapters, three times, Luke brings us to the temple. At the heart of spiritual life in Israel. And he's saying, look, this, this isn't something, this isn't someone who's moving away from what faith in Israel was all about. It's right at the heart of it. There's evidence Jesus is the real deal. And then this, this funny final 
story at the end of this section on Jesus' childhood. As soon as we enter chapter 3, we'll meet Jesus as an adult. This is the end of the section on his childhood. It's a funny little story, isn't it? You read it. What did you make of it? Uh, look, look, we all have read it for us. Just for a minute, turn to somebody sitting beside you and just see what, what, what struck you from it. Anything caught your attention? What did you think as it was read? This little bit from chapter 2. Jesus at the temple. Just have a chat for a minute. Somebody sitting beside you. What do you think of it? What caught your attention? That's enough. That's enough. Let, let me tell you what I think. I was, I was reading this past week, and it made me think of our family Christmas Eve. Uh, this is what we do in uh, Christmas Eve. We get together as a family, and we watch Home Alone together. Um, I just thought, reading this, a young boy forgotten by his family having to fend for himself. We, we love the film, and there's a bit of that here, isn't it? Uh, Jesus left behind in Jerusalem having to fend for himself, but uh, Luke's readers very obviously didn't know Home Alone, did they? So they weren't going to read this and think, oh, that reminds me a bit of Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. But no, they'd maybe think of our first reading. Uh, the first reading that Olaf it gave for us from 1 Samuel, because that's a story of another couple, Elkanah and Hannah. And they too, just like Mary and Joseph, if you go back and read those opening chapters of 1 Samuel, they used to go up to the sanctuary each year, just like Mary and Joseph did for the festival. And you read that story and you see that Hannah also had an unexpected pregnancy. And then as you read it, you notice that her son that was born gets almost the same phrase used about him. And you read this, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Sounds just like the words that Luke had for the Lord Jesus. Samuel grew to be well, the greatest prophet and rescuer for the people of Israel in his day. And now there's someone else. You see what Luke's doing? Now there's someone else who's come on the scene whose story is sort of like this. And you hear what Luke's saying. That this Jesus you're meeting here, he is the real deal. In football terms, he's Jurgen Klopp, not Jose Mourinho. You can trust him. He can deliver. But he's going to go further. And before we get into chapter 3, he wants to show us, look, Jesus is the real deal in an even more profound way. He is, and if you've got it on your, your little handouts, but he, here's, the, here's the first big thing. He's saying, look, Jesus, he's uniquely able to show us God. It, it's a funny story. Of all, of all the things to include, kind of at the end of a section, why, why this one? Jesus is a boy at the temple, a lost son, anxious parents. And they find him after three days, and their comments, they, they kind of feel reasonable. Do you feel that as you read this? They, they kind of feel reasonable. We've been anxiously searching for you. And the response from 12-year-old Jesus, it's there in verse 49. Why were you searching for me? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know? I had to be in my father's house. And there's a gentle rebuke from 12-year-old Jesus to parents implied in the answer. And I think most parents, and even those who are not, might feel slightly on the side of Mary and Joseph at this point. You don't feel that? And if you do, if you feel that at all, 
then the gentle rebuke is spoken to you as well. He's saying it to you and me as well. If you put yourself, even for a moment, on the side of Mary and Joseph, the first words, get, I mean, get this, the first words of Jesus in Luke's gospel, in fact, the first words of Jesus in any gospel is to tell someone that already they're not thinking about him in quite the right way. Just think about it. If you've read through the other chapters and looked so far, (coughs) Mary and Joseph, they've been visited by angels. (coughs) They've gone through the experience of the virgin birth. They've heard the words of Simeon and Anna about their son, and they still need this correction. Didn't you know? Didn't you know? I had to be in my father's house. And you get it's been spoken for us too. My my father's house, it's, it's a reference... It's a reference, obviously, to the temple where they find him, but it's also kind of a figure of speech. My, my father's house, it carries the idea of, I had to be about my father's business. First words of Jesus. Verse 50, we're told his parents didn't understand. <coughs> Excuse me. And Luke saying to us, look, they did they didn't understand this. That, just that one little sentence there, they didn't understand it. Luke's saying, don't step past this. <coughs> don't step past this too quickly. This isn't a petulant pre-team, pre-team <coughs> uh, stopping to, yeah, thank you. Someone's getting me. If I run over time tonight, it's only because of this bit. (coughs) Thank you, Basil. There. This isn't a preteen saying, stop picking on me. First recorded words of Jesus. Luke thinks these are bombshells, and he's saying, pause on them. And as you do, you realize what he's saying to his parents and to us is, look, make sure you don't lose sight of my identity and my mission. God is my Father, and I'm here to do his business. Jesus says he, he's the Son of God, this one God who's three persons. Jesus is the eternal Son with the Father. Not sure where to find him? Well, you could check out the place where you spend time with the Father. Jesus says he's the divine Son who's come into the world to fulfill God's long-promised saving plan. Not sure where to find him? Well, you could check out the place where people talk about God's long-promised saving plan. Now, with Mary's comments, why why have you treated us like this? I think, you know, I was reading this during the week, I think Jesus could have said, it was you that left me. (laughs) You're the parents. I'm 12. (laughs) I'm 12 years old. You left me in the city. But he doesn't do that. He says something much bigger. He's saying to them, look, when you feel cross." Because I don't seem to be where you think I should be. Make sure you remember my identity and my mission. 
to remember who I am and what I'm here to do. Jesus is God and so is always doing God's will. And that means this first big idea, he is uniquely able to show you God. As we read on and look, there'll be other things Jesus will do that will both, they'll both delight us at times and disturb us. He'll say things that might get your back up. You might even find yourself saying something like, Mary, look, what, why are you treating us like this? Why are you saying these kind of things uh, to us? Why are you treating us like this? And be, before we do, Luke wants us to hear this gentle rebuke from Jesus. Do you remember who I am and what I've come to do? He's the real deal. Uh, this past week, our, our home group leaders and our, our small group leaders, we, we met together as we often do at the start of term. And one of the things we thought about is we're thinking about stories in the Bible. We, we just thought about stories in general and how they make you feel. And we looked at this one from Narnia, because I love it. Uh, you might know this. It's, it's an encounter in Prince Caspian between Lucy and Aslan. If you can read it, let me, let me read it for you. Uh, Lucy, it's the first time she's seen Aslan in the story, and it goes like this, Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. And the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting, half lying between his front paws. He, He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all round her. She gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. If you know the Narnia stories, you know Aslan's an allegory for Jesus. And And Lewis is wonderfully communicating something profound about God, that God doesn't grow older. He doesn't get bigger, because whatever God is, he is perfectly and infinitely, eternally. And our perception of him changes, but God doesn't and can't change. That's the truth about God. And so what is one of the really staggering things in this account Luke puts before us that you've got in front of you? It's not just that Jesus is God, but, but that the one who knows everything, the one who knows everything, is found, verse 46, listening to teachers and asking questions. Is that not staggering? That the one who is co-equal with the Father, verse 51, was obedient to human parents. That the one who is eternal and so by nature neither ages nor grows, verse 52, this one, we're told, grew in wisdom and stature. And so what the Bible says is true, mystery of mysteries. The one who is eternally God, boundless in all his perfections, boundless, infinite, 
without stopping being God, without losing his divine nature in any way, took to himself a genuine, finite human nature, a body like yours and mine, a mind, a will, emotions, a human spirit, a soul, so that he could. One of the, one of the early church fathers, Irenaeus, he, writing about this, he put it like this, for this reason... For this reason, our Lord received the same body as the firstborn, like, like us, that he might fight. That he might fight for the fathers and vanquish in Adam that which had struck us in Adam. Took to himself a body so that he could fight for us. God's son took a human nature in order that he could fight for you and me. It's quite a thought, isn't it? It's quite a thought. What this part of the gospel you have in front of you confronts us with is a brave little 12-year-old boy who is fighting for you. It's a humbling thought, isn't it? We're all growing up. We're all mature. And the gospel confronts us with a 12-year-old boy, a brave little boy who fights for you to rescue us from our sinfulness and its consequences. Look, will take us eventually to the cross where Jesus in his humanity will die as a man for us. But even here he's fighting. He's the real deal. He shows us what it means to be human. Jesus is, look, he, he can show us. He can show, he's uniquely able to show us God, but he's uniquely able to show human priorities. Second big idea. Twelve years old. 12 years old and listening to those who are teaching God's word. That's what he's doing in this section. The Son of God in his human nature, turning his will, turning his will to do whatever his heavenly Father wants. The one who created the universe in his human nature, being appropriately obedient in family life. The eternal God in his human nature, growing in the right way. Now, sometimes, um, you and I, we, we come to the Bible with questions we're asking about Jesus, and that is a good thing to do, isn't it? We, we come to the Bible with our questions that we want to ask. But it's important to realize, I think, the Bible more often comes with questions Jesus is asking of us. Uh, the most important questions are not the ones we ask uh, of God, but really the ones he asks of us. And the the implied question here seems to be, while Jesus most definitely is the real deal, do you want to be? Do you want to be? Because if you do, then this Jesus is uniquely able to show you not only who God is, but who you should be. Even from a young age. Learning from God's word. To have a life shaped around wanting to do what God wants. And that doesn't have to be something extraordinary. See, here it's, it's even drawn for us. It's even down to the way you relate to the members of your own family. Children obeying the parents. And as the years go by, growing to grow in godly wisdom that shows itself in a life that pleases God. But we're heading into a new year now. We're a few weeks in. 
And it's a good time to refocus on following Jesus. So with some of those thoughts in mind, here's, here's just three things uh, I've had in mind for myself. And let me share them with you uh, before we draw this to a close. Here's the first one. I, I wanted a better way to put it, but let me say it like this. Be diligent in spiritual disciplines. Jesus was committed to growing and learning in his human nature about his heavenly Father. His family traveled huge journey year by year up to Jerusalem. We just have to jump in the car to get to church. Sometimes it's just walking around the corner. Be, be diligent in spiritual disciplines. Follow Jesus in this way, getting to church, coming to meet with the church family to pray, getting along to your home group or your youth groups. Like Jesus, why not seek the company of wise, older Christians? Talk with them. Ask questions. Now, those of you who are younger, with your youth leaders, with your parents, talk with them about spiritual things. Now, remember, Jesus is the real deal. He shows us what it means to be human. We need to follow him. Now, here's the second thing. Look, ask yourself, Am I growing as a Christian? Now, from last year to this, am I following Jesus obediently and wisely? Jesus grew in his human nature. We're, God wants us to as well. How, have you been growing over this past year? It'd be good at the start of the year just to think, do you know what? Thank you, Lord. I, I think I have grown in this way. Please help me to grow in other ways in this coming year. And the last thing, just to say, is that we remember we worship Jesus. We don't just learn about him. We don't just learn from his example. He is God, our Savior. And so we worship him. I came across this song by Andrew Peterson uh, this week. And I just say, it struck me as I reflected on this passage. The words are like this. Gather round, ye children, come. Listen to the old, old story of the power of death undone by an infant born of glory, son of God, son of man. So sing out with joy for the brave little boy who was God but made himself nothing. He gave up his pride and he came here to die like a man for us and for our salvation. Now, this is the God we worship at the start of the year and throughout. Well, let's have a moment of quiet just for our own thoughts and prayers, and then Matt is going to lead us on with our final song.